0: You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous
1: écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by... Animé par... Alison Burns...
0: J.D. Papillon...
1: and Stéphanie Stay tuned.
0: We're going to move you. Okay, welcome everyone to Dirty Feet for our 65th episode. Uh, so today I'm really happy because we're gonna have a guest uh, with us who's gonna be presenting in a bit more of an informal context than we're used to receiving on this show and she will be presenting at La Poil, which is this space that was opened during throughout the year by Sarah Bild and Susanna Hood and it is a uh, it's a studio that you can rent for rehearsal space they do uh presentations uh so there's a lot of good stuff uh, coming out of there and in this case it will be uh it will be a presentation of the third floor projects, which was started by Yves Sheriff and is a way to bring uh, Montreal artists uh mostly coming out of dance in a context that is about uh, exploration, research and not purely creating a product uh, creating a show so we're super interesting, uh, interested in receiving this week Thea Patterson who will be presenting a work that she's been working on for quite a while now uh, that is called The Dance That I Cannot Do and she will be presenting this on a double bill with Hanako Hoshimikai,nes who's presenting I Read Fiction to Keep It Real so uh, hi Thea how are you doing today?
2: I'm pretty good, thanks.
0: Great. So first of all, could you tell us a bit more? We, we've had you on the show, so I won't ask you to do the whole bio. Tell, tell us where you come from. So we'll just go into this project and how you become in, became involved with the third floor projects.
2: Uh, well, the solo I've been working on f- for about over a year now, and it's, it's sort of evolved through a, a number of different iterations. Um I almost think of it more of a practice now than uh, than as a product, something that I just keep sort of doing. And um, the the meeting with Eve came out of the last year's uh, third four projects at C which I went to go see. And Hanako actually presented this work that she's doing then as well. And I was very excited um by what I saw there that the kind of general ethos of it and the um, kind of questions that were being asked, you know both in the sort of the way they formed it and in the writing that they gave you to read when you came in, and also as the the same questions were being grappled with in the work that I saw um, and I felt it was really different than a lot of other things that I've been seeing recently, and it was super refreshing to me so actually i I think I approached Eve at that time and just told him that and so we've been sort of having a conversation since then I've been keeping him up to date on what I'm doing and um then this this he kind of um decided to try to try this new kind of version of the third floor at the Apuel for logistical reasons we decided to go there I think that using say it's pretty packed up at the moment so uh that was great
0: and you mentioned uh, the ethos of this, the, the the third floor projects. And since you've had a few discussions with Eve about this, could you tell us a bit more about where this came from? Like, what was his what? Well, what was or what is still his intent with the third floor projects? You know, and how he brings different artists to create and to really research uh, a project.
2: I think sort of, cl- sort of the the central thing there is really about uh, about discussion and discourse and and uh, it's obvious I guess not not necessarily about product although that may also you know manifest as well but it seems to me that they that they they created a, a, a kind of situation in those residencies I mean it wasn't there I just had a few conversations with him about it uh, where how you defined how it was going to happen was really contingent on the desires of the people who were involved. So that might mean that instead of working in a studio one day, they maybe go and have a picnic and um, share food and talk. Or you know, it was super fluid in terms of the, in terms of those kind of ways of interacting with with the with the work. Um, certainly less to me, it seems certainly less isolating than being by yourself in a studio trying to figure out all these things and the sort of lateral way into your work and the sort of, you know, like what you might come to realize through those kind of dialogues um, that you wouldn't if you just sort of stayed with the sort of traditional, I'm just going to go and, and uh, you know, work in this way that's really familiar to, to might be more familiar in a studio with your dancers or yourself or whatever, um, I feel like as he moves forward with it, he wants to keep like the people who've done it before are, can, are sort of brought along with the next group, and those discussions are kind of like um, ex, you know they're you know, what's that word in math when exponential, exponential. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that there's a feeling of sort of continuity through it as well, in that way, and a community building kind of aspect, I guess,
0: yeah. You've uh, you've mentioned that you see this project that you've been working on for a year as a practice rather than than you know a, a show or anything like that. Uh, after discussing with Eve and probably with some of the artists who were presenting there, did you see any um, any parallels between your own way? To bring this practice into your life, because it is a like an, almost an organic thing, I would guess this this practice for you. It's something that is part of your daily life, rather than just something that you set time apart for the studio. You go and you create it. I guess it's something that sort of um, weaves itself into your life. Since you mention it as a practice,
2: yeah. I mean, I still go, I still do go into the studio. Um, it's it's really sort of subtle. Uh, subtly different. In that, I think of it as a practice because um, I, don't, I don't. There's not really an end in sight. I mean, the questions that I have are. It seems like they're gonna. I'm gonna continue to have them, and I. I'm me. I. I get um, sort of. Sometimes I struggle with the, a lot of times with a lot of doubt about why. What we do is pertinent, and why I should feel like I have anything really to say. And so the practice side of it is more in terms of trying to work out those problems through a doing of something, a continual kind of doing of that doesn't, that doesn't, is this subtly different than saying, I am going to, I'm going to, I'm making this, this thing that sort of has a, has a frame around it and then I'm going to, it's going to be that thing and then I'm going to show it. Um, Although, I mean, right now I do have a thing that I can show um, at the same time. But I, I feel like I've set up a, a sort of structure of or a way of working in this solo format. That's about me trying to work out some of my artistic questions around spectatorship, around the function of performance, around um, power structures and um, value and all of these, these sort of things spectacle and anti-spectacle and you know how we are with or with an audience and how we all these kind of questions that are constantly kind of in my head
0: (laughs) and do you feel so far that it's more of a cyclical process or do you feel that it's more of a linear process like do you feel that you always come back to the same thing and that it it changes but still stays around a same sort of ellipsis or do you feel that it's it's ever changing some extent
2: I feel it's more circular probably yeah I mean not without not without some kind of momentum but um, I don't know if I've come to any kind of um, great understanding but there's this this feeling that if I keep just doing these kind of things that I might does that make sense
0: would you feel that that would be necessary for the for this process to have any value to come to uh, some sort of greater understanding, or do you feel that just going through it and just keeping keep thinking on it and you know ever expanding it in some ways is really
2: what it's about? That's really what it's about. I think I might come to some kind of understandings. I, I mean, I am coming to a certain kind of understandings. Also about myself and how I how I am with the material and how certain kind of things kind of. Come out that you didn't didn't know, or and then suddenly they're there, and how that you know, kind of all of these sort of things. When you when a work starts to kind of like um, have its own voice, in a sense, so then it starts to speak back to you a little bit. Yeah, certainly, there's things to be to be that I'm learning. I'm learning lots of things. I don't know if I'm answering all of my artistic questions, but that's fine. I mean, if I were to answer them all, then what would be the point in continuing? I I
1: guess. (laughs) Why do you choose this kind of um, physically based method of, I guess, dealing with these questions or or pondering these things, or, or, yeah, what is what is that choice for you, as opposed to perhaps uh, writing more or or some other form of of scientifically working out your questions? (laughs)
2: Um, well, I guess because
1: I'm a dancer,
2: <laughs> right? I mean, I I say that with a lot of like. Uh, it's all not that easy for me to s- say that actually, but it's part of this process has been me kind of just ex- sort of owning and accepting that fact because I, and that's why the piece is called the dance that I cannot do because I've been in a very conflictual relationship with this idea of being a dancer or uh, or as being that being the definition of who I am because most of the time I don't feel like one I don't my body doesn't work I'm I have a lot of problems I don't want to get into all of that but um, how I see the world and how I how I um, process everything is through that that kind of lens is either choreographic or or dance-based kind of um i can't not be that in a sense i mean i can write about it as well i enjoy doing that too um but there's something about coming back to the body even if it's um doing really not very dancey things in which in this case in the solo they are i mean i'm doing very regular things most of the most of the time so yeah, as this so it was sort of about seeing if i could reclaim that in a sense and that, and this idea of the dance that I cannot do is, um, sort of comes from that, like asking the impossible question. I mean, it's kind of a, it's not a, there's no such thing as a dance, the dance that I guess there is, I can't do the dance that I cannot do. I can only do the dance that I can do. But, so there's kind of a, what's that, a double bind in there or something. But, um, yeah, I guess that's why, why coming back to performance work? I mean, it hasn't been super comfortable for me. It's not like it's it's been uh, challenging as well to put myself in that role. I'm in the outside role most of the time in my work that I do. It was hard switching
1: to go back on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something funny. I I I feel like I bring up a lot. But this idea of the separation between the the performer and the and everybody else, and making it a little bit elitist to be a dancer to be a performer, and I don't know if I'm interpreting this correctly, but there's a bit of a hesitation when you're saying you're not sure if you can call yourself a dancer, where it's all or nothing that if you're not, you know, a ballerina on you know or hired by Marie Chouinard, like there's there's something where we're not allowed to be in between. Where we're not allowed to be a recreational dancer, but still consider ourselves a dancer.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's something. There's something there. I think that we bring from our training, possibly, or. Oh, I mean, it's about the definition. About. I mean, I firmly. Be, I firmly believe that there's a huge range in definitions of what is dance, for, to start with. And actually, I'm way more interested in like expanded forms of dance and choreography than I am in more 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 traditional dancey ones and yet at the same time even as I'm doing the more expanded forms like where you know how I if I were to drink a glass of water that could be a dance for instance yet I still kind of carry this all this sometimes I carry this old thing that if I you know if I can't also as well as do all of these other things then then somehow I'm less less worthy or something but
1: well, it's a bit. How do you qualify it? How do you how do you understand it as successful or not? If it's not, uh, if it's not in a traditional form, if it's not in something that's already been understood and established and evaluated, what is the value in something if if it's so unfamiliar? Which also, I think, bleeds into the fact that we're talking about a presentation that you're also reluctant to call a show because it is a, a process that you're yeah, doing as well. Yeah,
2: no, and that, it's, that's if I I think it's super interesting and. Um, yeah i find it quite exciting that in in its potential there's something there's something about trying to i don't know in some way kind of just pull against um what's how can i say it pull against these kind of like trends towards like right now it feels like the the sort of commodification in the sh- this spectacle show 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 thing seems to be quite prominent or something, and i yeah there's something something nice about opening up to sort of another potential way of being with an audience i mean th- the, some of the things I 'm playing with in this this work is really about that relationship
1: can you paint us a picture of? of what you imagine your relationship with the audience being for this presentation?
2: Well, I'm sort of—I I mean, lots of pieces mediate that line. It's not a—it's no, not like I'm reinventing anything here. But there's something about a way of of being with, um, and then also, you know, playing the two off each other. So yes, now I'm in front of you, and you're watching me, and the—and this relationship is quite clear. You know, I'm the one doing all of this stuff. And you're watching me, and I've set I've set up this situation where that's that's going to happen. You're that gives me more that gives me more power. I, there's power in that, and then there's just a couple of functions in the piece where I just try and just reverse that relationship a little bit, where we can kind of just be the same, all the same people doing the same thing um, together. There's a feeling of sort of commonality, trying to create some some uh, ways for that to kind of come out
1: a little diplomacy in the room yeah i mean there's a lot
2: of st- there's a lot about um democratization of the space and of the objects and of the people and and of what i do i also am working with chance functions um where i the uh, the um some of the powers taken from me as to what i'm going to do next for instance so i'm it may it won't ever be quite the same two times and uh there's also some stuff with there's a lot about time the time it takes time taken giving time allowing time
0: yeah there's a shortness in in a presentation in a performance to some extent Uh, of the space between the audience like both space and time actually of the audience and the performers that quite often in dance we seem to uh, put blinders on because like there is this this dichotomy that's created between like the stage and where the audience sits do you feel that like what do you think brings this forward like this reluctance to to consider them as a whole rather than as two different things that are Put into contrast to one another
2: I mean it's there's i mean there's a lot of I don't really know there's a lot of there's a i mean that I mean just the way the room is set up is often can do it just is, that it creates that you know the performance space is sort of this like precious fetishized space that you're not supposed to ever touch like we have all these codes that we've about it that we bring in when we when we walk into that room I mean lots and lots of people are breaking those codes. For sure, and asking those kind of questions. For me, it's. I guess it's. I I sort of have this idea that maybe, you know, every person, everyone, if they want to, has has to sort of negotiate that question for themselves in their work, if they want or if they don't want. Um. Maybe there's something about about. um, I mean, if you if you come into a, a performance situation as an audience member, you don't always want also to be you you want those codes to be firmly in place it's not necessarily comfortable to have them have them broken so that I mean that for me that then it comes to kind of like how you do it in a theater it's going to be really different than in the studio or in a gallery you know because the, the strength of those kind of the rigidity of those roles is more fluid in, in those in different situations.
0: And for these audience members who might be more reluctant to be put in the limelight, to be um, faced to the performance aspect of it, do you feel that as artists we have, as performance, or performing artists, that we have a responsibility towards them to not bring them forcefully yes, into absolutely. the artwork? So how do you, when you bring in audience members into into a work, how do you manage that? Like it, it's a very thin line to navigate
2: well in concrete terms i think i say right at the beginning i may ask you to get up from your chair and you don't you don't have to if you don't want to the other thing is to sort of set a tone i'm a, a sort of tone that so that if and when that that um line gets crossed it's not at all shocking because there's already a very conversational kind of feeling that's that's been sort of set in place
0: do you feel then that in a way this kind of presentational space um this kind of mood that you're establishing where there is more of a dialogue where there is less of a a separation between the audience and the performers do you feel that it might in some weird roundabout way be more exclusive for some audience members to enter into
2: what do you mean exclusive
0: as in uh, more fear of not understanding uh, more fear of not being able to grasp this this switch from this traditional these traditional roles of audience and and uh, performers that some audience members who are not used to this who don't have the kind of either training or who haven't had those kinds of discussions before they might be they might feel left out because right. they don't get to be pigeonholed in some way
2: mm mm-hmm. It's a good question. I'm not really sure. I haven't had a chance to do this score for very, very many people. So it's actually a question that I've, I've had. In the times when I've been testing it, because I've been doing it. I I mean, I've been doing it kind of like inviting people to come in. Maybe there's like five or six people that come in and it's been really really nice way to do it but it's true that it's difficult to get people like say off the street to do that cuz you know it's mostly people who I, who are in in our field so i w- i would be curious i would hope that um that there's something there's something like at the base very relatable about what i'm what i'm proposing and doing that would that wouldn't create that kind of situation. If it did, then I would have to revisit it, I think for sure, because it's not what I would want.
1: Is there a way that this can be a success or a, or other? A success or other? Well, I don't want to say failure, but <laughs> is there is there a way that the work could oh, please you w- 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 or, or disappoint you in the performance? Oh, the work
2: is completely, totally walking the line between success and failure from the beginning to the end. It's really, that's right in the, in the zone that I'm interested in. And I'm super interested in failure. It's really an interesting, an interesting sort of zone to visit. It's, and it's very vulnerable as well. So there's kind of a thing there with being comfortable or detached a little bit from comfortable with, or slightly detached from having a, a lot of worries about fail, failing, and having that be like a negative thing,
1: yeah, Does that makes sense. So you're prepared for any outcome, and ready to move with that. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's not always easy, but
2: yeah.
0: You've mentioned earlier uh, just drinking less water and seeing it or treating it as as a dance performance, and it's interesting because like it's been what now like thirty. 40 years since the Judson Church. Yeah, 40 years at least. Like, which was, you know, part of their thinking, which was part of these discussions that they've had in this experimentation, and, and it was almost taken as fact for for a while that drinking glass water on stage would be a dance, would be a performance. Like, why do you feel, like, personally, uh, that we're still questioning that, that we still need to validate this kind of way of thinking
2: i don't know but we seem to have to keep kind of like us push asserting that as you know um maybe it goes in cycles and waves um maybe we have a short memory i'm not i'm not sure but i mean the Judson church like for sure there's like i mean that's you know the kind of work that I'm do I'm doing, and just a few other people are doing for sure. We think that's a, there's a really strong affinity towards this, those kind of philosophies of performance.
0: And you've presented at the Judson Church before. Yeah, could you tell us a bit more about that? Because there is something fascinating as someone who's interested in in dance history for me to just think about what goes through one performer's mind when you're presenting in such a mythic, mythical oh, yeah. space. How was how did you live that exactly?
2: Oh, well it was amazing actually. It's huge in there, like big, like it's like a church, right? So it's very 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 big. And I was working with a earlier iteration of this same solo and so there's a lot about taking time and and not hurrying and really looking and seeing and I walked out into that middle of that room and I did that and it was quite incredible because I could I felt I could feel like um, it's going to sound really flaky (laughs) but I could feel like an energy and I took the time to like look all around and make my next decision because there's a lot about also like okay now what am I going to do and then like living the living the thinking of the, what you're doing embodying it and then I you know I kept went on with my other actions but in that first moment when I walked out there I it was um I almost felt like I couldn't fail in a sense like it was beautiful yeah it was really beautiful I felt like I had the had the support of like all of those people in that room. Flaky, I know, but I did. It was fun, kind of crazy.
1: Yeah, it was really great. How much of this work is uh, for you? Like, if if just in the in the way that you're speaking about um, the the outcome, kind of being informative, and and that obviously it's it's fed you a lot. Uh, and also this this very personal approach of the dance that you cannot do is does it make a difference if this never gets shown again? Is this something you would continue to work on uh, and and create opportunities because it because it has done so much for you or is doing something for you Is it
2: important if it never gets shown again um, it's not it's not it's not not important it's not super important i you know I guess what I would say is that is that it's re- really helped. It's really been super great in terms of helping me or moving my process in terms of the kind of thinking that I'm doing and just helping me decide where I would like to go further with that. Um, so in a sense, it's been really pivotal in terms of crystallizing where my interests are and where they aren't. And how I want to kind of build on that moving forward, um, in and to bring some of that into new projects. I mean, I don't. I also want to. I would like to continue to to develop and work with some of those those things. In other in other ways, you know. So, yeah, it's been it's been really inspiring that way, especially at a time when. When for me personally, I've started to have like doubts about, about what I'm doing and where I fit and, you know, what, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, in where I am in my life, you know, my daughter's just grown up. I'm, 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 I'm like going into next phase, let's say in my life. So it's been actually a great transition, a great process and a great practice for for starting to think about and create the actual conditions for the next things that I want to do. Yeah, does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I guess what I and I, I was understanding that and I think I wanted to confirm it that like it and in your next works will be more selfless perhaps than this one. Is was this more of a like um a therapeutic work? Therapeutic. Possibly.
2: But it, at the same time, it was it was really about grappling with artistic questions, mm-hmm. not personal questions. Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: But the two are not so distant from each other sometimes.
2: Sometimes, yeah.
0: So you mentioned uh, in in the text uh, that's on on the Facebook event, you mentioned nostalgia, and before the show, you told me that this nostalgia was especially tracing you back to. Your younger years when you were dancing, when you're more of a child or a teenager, I would guess, or even a student in child a, more. a child. And at that time, I would guess that these questions of, uh, can I still consider myself a dancer were not really part of your thinking at no. that time? Like your approach, dance was probably very different. So how would you combine that? This, this place where you are questioning this notion now and a time when dancing was much more, uh, like uh, this is dancing, what I'm doing, you know, uh, much less questionable.
2: Yeah, I think I'm the, and I don't know if this is answering your question, but the word that comes into my head is embodiment. So the 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 links to my to being a child and to and the sort of references to that that come out in this piece in in not overly overt ways. Actually, they're just. More like they could be sort of seen as nods to, or um, it's really tricky to describe. But it's something about about referencing a time when there wasn't, when when the, when dan- the dance in me was just embodied. It just was. To now say when because of issues with my body and stuff, I, I don't have very much movement ability. Like, I have to really, really, really be careful. And, um... So there's, there was this kind of thing of of trying... trying to see if I could remember that feeling of when I... Of, of being embodied in something as a child. When a child doesn't think, they don't... they don't judge, they don't, you know, they just throw themselves around they're not you know it's that freedom in a sense and seeing if I could remember that feeling by doing something else maybe I could have that feeling just by standing still or you know by sharing by just by creating the parameters of this performance so there's there's another element in there around embodiment and sort of that, diff- the differing kind of relationship we have with that. Even in, within the performance itself, I have a thing where I actually gauge, like, in the moment, my sense of my own embodiment to the moment. That varies depending on so many different factors, like how nervous I am or how well I think I did that last thing. And I, I have an embodiment chart. Anyways... And I, I make lines on it.
0: Well, then during the piece, do you ever feel the need for verbal communication to bring this to the audience? Or do you yeah, feel I that do. just t- embodiment...
2: No, no, I talk to... I, I'm very, very uh, transparent about it.
0: Well, do you feel then that there's a bit of lack of trust in either yourself or the material that you don't bring this just through the embodiment and that you need to actually use a verbal context to bring this to the audience
2: no it's i think it's it's more just an acknowledgement of what is you know like and kind of a transparency around like this is another thing about getting up and performing sometimes like the performer goes on stage and we we and they work really hard to present an image of themselves um that and if it's not going well I mean, for the most part, I imagine that they, that internal clicking of their mind where they're there, maybe they're out of out of it and they're thinking too much or is, is hidden. It's not shared. So I'm just, you know, trying to, I'm just saying, well, actually right now I don't think I felt that that was, I did, wasn't in my body on that one. And I'm just going to tell you, And so now you know that. So in a way, again, it's it's to try and lateralize this relationship so that I'm not any more special or any less more gifted than you because I'm choosing to be out here and I'm still freaking out right now. So (laughs) I'm just going to tell you that. I mean, I'm making it sound like it's like a huge element of the piece. These are just little things that come up in 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 little in little moments, it's about transparency, I guess.
0: In um, in the text, I'm bringing this back again because I find the text that that you wrote about this work really interesting. While well, you mentioned reframing all of your presumptions about what the the memory of the dance could be, that, that dance that you can't do, uh, do you still feel that you're clinging on to those presumptions, or do you feel that it's something that you've started to um get rid of that that have been stepping away from you,
2: yeah, I know for sure, yeah, this is super personal, but um the, the main presumption is this idea that I can't dance and and like I said before that's uh that's ironic because it's ironic to me because. I'm not really even super interested in the kind of dancing that I think that I can't do. I'm interested in all these other things, which I can do. (laughs) So it's kind of, it doesn't make any sense, but, but yeah, there's this, there's still this, like you, what you were saying about, um, about, uh, you know, certain kinds of dancing being privileged over other kinds or certain kind of bodies being privileged over other kinds. Like, if you're not doing this and this, then maybe you don't have the right to own that title.
0: And do you feel that these presumptions are burdening uh, or weighing weighing down the dance community? Do you feel that that's something that's really stopping us from going forward in in our creativity? That that we're so weighted, weighted down by this that a lot of people just cannot frame dance any other way and how it's affecting presenters also, because it's a big part of the equation, I guess.
2: Yeah, I think that, but it, I also think it's interesting what you were saying earlier about all of this, these questions having been already brought to the fore in the Judson Church years, and so it's it seems like it shouldn't be a it shouldn't even be a question anymore, but it does seem to be still um it's it's a huge huge topic. I don't really know um, seems to me it starts to get into like into um how we deal with technique and how we and the role that plays and uh and yeah in and in, in, in yeah, in the tastes of the present presenters and how that kind of directs the form. I think it's also really regional. Like, I think it's really different here than in other places. I don't know. It's hard to tell sometimes. But.
0: Where do you feel that you wouldn't be able to do this work? Where do you feel, like, in which part of the world do you feel that there would just be no way that you could present something like this?
2: <laughs> I have no idea.
0: Do you feel that there is such a thing as. Because you mentioned, well, it's about the dance that you can't do. Do you feel that even the dance that you can't do, even the project that you're basing on this, there are um, there are things, there are factors that would prevent you from being able to do somewhere else, or even just like a different pr- performance space in Montreal?
2: No, not, I mean, not really. I think that, I mean, I don't think I would ever do it at Place Arts on the, at the Maisonneuve, you know what I mean? But <laughs> I don't want to, so it's not really an issue.
0: You said you don't want to, but do you feel that as a um, sacrificial lamb you would be willing to do it just so that we could see something like this at Place des If the Place des Arts like, approached you and said, you know what, we saw this at the, the Third Floor projects, and we feel we need something like this now in our program would you be willing to do it in a space like that 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 has such um a weight to you?
2: oh this is, i mean it gets super interesting around the kind of places and spaces that you do a work and how that completely changes the work um like for instance i did this piece in our space in girlfriend town in uh, the fall and uh it was completely different because of the space and that, that space is quite dramatic. And, and suddenly the piece became much more theatrical. And I was like, oh no. Oh no, 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 no. No, no, no. So it's it's tricky. I think if I was asked to do an M.C.S.R., I would have to say that I could maybe do it if all of the audience was on the stage with me. But having everyone in their seats, no. Wouldn't work. <laughs>
0: I'm just getting the visuals of it and it's making me giggle. (laughs) So we were talking to Thea Patterson, uh, who will be presenting The Dance That I Cannot Do as part of the third floor projects. It will be at La Poile, which is at 5333 Casgrain, Studio 307, on Thursday from 7.30 to 10.30 p.m. The evening will be rounded up with a presentation by Hanako Hoshimikainas, uh, the piece I Read Read Fiction to Keep It Real. Uh, It's by donation and uh, with a suggested donation of $2. And there will also be a discussion after the, the performance. So, Thea, thanks so much for coming on the show with us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Uh, we're actually going to have a little musical tidbit from the show. Can you uh, introduce what we're going to listen to next? Yeah, this is, uh, it's going to be
2: um, Neil Diamond from the soundtrack to Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Awesome.
3: Lonely looking sky, lonely sky, lonely looking sky. And being lonely makes you wonder why, makes you wonder why. Lonely looking sky Lonely looking sky Lonely looking sky Lonely looking looking night, lonely night, lonely looking night And being lonely never made it right Never made it right. Lonely looking night. Lonely looking night. Lonely looking night. In its glory, told a simple way. Behold it if you may. Glory looking day. Glory looking day. Ah, lonely looking sky.
0: Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theater. Check them out at montrealimprov.com.
1: Dirty Feet est produit et animé par Produced and hosted by Allison Burns,
0: J.D. Papillon and
1: Stéphanie Morin-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast.
0: Listen to past episodes on the website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes.
1: While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.